0: So my name's Julia, and if I haven't met you before, it's nice to see you here. Thanks for coming along tonight. Hey, I just want to acknowledge for a moment. Where's Josh gone? Has he left? Josh has got the coolest socks. Has anyone seen his socks tonight? They're like they're jelly beans. Aren't they awesome? So I just saw those. I thought they were great tonight. Worship was awesome too. Yes, <laughs> okay. um, Yeah. So I guess tonight, I as we've been uh, on the, on this series of respond. Um, I got asked to, to share a little bit about what my journey has been over over the last few while. So most of you guys will know that in September this year we are planting a campus out in Salwyn. Whoop, whoop. It's going to be great. And um, <laughs> Carl, Carl, did you know that? <laughs> um, yeah, and I'm going to be the campus pastor out there, which is exciting. A little bit scary at the same time. We have some details. We will work the rest out between now and September. Um, I was encouraged that the first prayer meeting we had, uh, the, the scripture that God gave me was Exodus 13. It was when the Israelites were, were leaving Egypt, and it was simply, you know, they were following the, the, the pillar during the day and the and the um, fire by night and stuff. And I just felt God speak into my heart. He's like, I just need you to follow. I just need you to follow. And there was so much comfort in that because I was like, there is so much stuff that we don't know what we're doing. We don't know how it's going to work. We don't know what it's going to look like but all he asks us to do is to follow, right? And I'm like, that I can do. If we keep our eyes on Jesus and we follow, we're believing we're going to see God do some amazing stuff, right? Um, but yeah, I wanted to share with you a little around what the journey of that's been. So we started this thing a couple of years ago now called Red Frogs, so where we go into the university and we um, care and look after students and the parties and give them water and pancakes and do safe walk homes and do safe zones and all this sort of stuff and we were doing it in Canterbury University and um, the police were the ones who really saw the difference that it was making and they saw what was happening out in Lincoln University and what they were dealing with out there and so they said hey look would you guys come and and do what you guys are doing for red frogs out at those events we'd open the doors for you and um, in all honesty we have we had more than enough going on at Canterbury and we were not looking for anything else that was that was big enough within itself. Um so we went to one of the local churches and we said, Hey look, this is the opportunity. Would you guys be interested in, in picking it up and running with it, saying, you know, the local church and we'll show you and teach you and all that sort of stuff. And they were like super, super black appreciative that we'd come and had the conversation with them and they said, hey look actually we're, um, we're already doing some stuff on campus which has sort of maxed out our capacity, we love what you guys are doing you know, go ahead with our blessing like, I was really hoping you guys were going to pick us up <laughs> so we started taking teams out to Lincoln and we, our first one was a garden party and holy moly they'd started drinking at four o'clock, we saw a guy dancing on the roof who couldn't even be dancing on the, on the um, the gravel when we'd seen him like 10 minutes earlier, how he got up onto the roof of Munna, and I standing there trying to talk him down. Um, A guy came out with a chainsaw and cut up his fence and that was our introduction to Lincoln University. (laughs) We're like, what on earth have we done? Um, but from there, God continued to open doors, and we continued to connect with students. And I guess just a, a note, like we're not, it's not a student church, right? We're, we're a church that's going to be based out on campus, but it is a family church. We're going to be an intergenerational, multicultural church. We're just planted in a university, right? And there's 3,000 uni students there, so granted, they're going to be a natural part of, hopefully, God willing, part of our church. Yeah. Um, and then in uh, October, we worked, it must have been 2016, we went out and we did a garden party out there. And uh, we were running the safe zone. So, if you don't know what a safe zone is, when people come up to the gate, if they, you know, they take it, they scan their ticket or security, and if they are sober enough, they get into the event, and if they're not, they go down a chute to the safe zone and they come and hang out with us. So, we're there with medics. And so people arrive in all different states and we just really believe that um, God has filled us with his love and with his compassion to be able to um, meet with them and care for them in those places. And we have so many people ask us, why are you guys, doing? Well, firstly, it's I hope you guys get paid enough for this as the team is often cleaning out vomit or trying to convince someone that eating a ham sandwich is a good idea or, you know, whatever it is. And we go, no, no, actually we're volunteers. And they go, why, why would you give up your time to come and do this? And I love saying to them, but if you fall in love with Jesus, he'll make you do some funny things, right? And so we're hanging out in the safe zone. And um, well, this girl gets brought into us by police, and she's in quite a state. She has got swimming togs on with fluoro shorts. She's got half a sock on on one foot. Um, and she is just hysterical. And everything that kind of is, is going on makes us think there's potentially been some sort of assault or she is she is just uh, inconsolable at that point. And the police were like, hey, can you guys just try and and look after her? Like, she'd clearly taken something because um, it's like they couldn't – she wasn't even in a state where they could take her down to the cells or whatever at that point because they suspected that there had been some sort of assault. So she comes in and she is so incredibly agitated. She is just upset. She is just—we can't work out what's do, what she's doing, what's going on. She's just talking no sense. She's his, absolutely hysterical. And I just went over to her and was like, "Hey, sweetie, you know, like my name's Julia. I'm, I'm one of the Red Frogs." And she just honestly just latched onto me, and she is wailing. And she goes, "Julia, Julia!" Oh, oh. And that was it. And we, sat, I sat down on a chair, and I had this girl, wrapped, oh, no like, no joke, wrapped around my waist, and I'm holding her. And the police go, cool, you got this for a bit. Like, <laughs> I guess so. Like, i meant to be running a safe zone at that point. I look to the team, and I'm like, oh, you guys have got this. Like, because I, I was not going anywhere at that point. And any time anyone tried to come near us, she just... She screamed, and she wailed, and she was hysterical. And we, we the medics were trying to check her out, but even then, no one could even get close to her, and so we just kind of had to wait it out. Turns out she'd taken pangers, a kind of drug, and we were, we pretty much just had to wait for her to, to ride the high out. But that was me for the next hour and a half, sitting with this girl in my lap. We eventually managed to move her to like a slightly more private tent, but every time I tried to leave her, no joke, her would, she would scream, absolutely scream through the safe zone, Julia, Julia, And so I went back. Because <laughs> for everyone's sake, it was like, cool, this is where we are. We were working with a paramedic, and by the end of it, he goes, well, I'm not going to forget your name, am I? <laughs> but by the time we finally got hold of these girls, this girl's friend's, and came and cared for her, and she was monitored by the medical teams and all that, we just, she just had to ride the high out, um, her friends came, she said, man, she is so anti-drugs, she, she doesn't do them, <laughs> and I've never seen a person more broken, we've had people in safe zones, I've seen people high on, pingers on on, whatever you want, like, pretty much they've come through, But she honestly was like she'd lost her mind and she just something within her was so broken. And as I sat there and there were all these medical services and all I could do was pray for her. And I wholeheartedly believe that the reason that she felt so comfortable was that there was something with the Holy Spirit that was able to bring comfort to her in that place at that time. See, so many people look at what we're doing at Frogs and go, oh, man, they've done it to themselves, oh, you know, they deserve this. But I know that our team wholeheartedly believes that that we are so thankful that God didn't give up on us every time we made a stupid decision, that he didn't leave us to our own consequences to write it out, but instead he showed extravagant love and compassion and kindness to it. Hang on, give me a minute. Talking about yourselves and I believe something in my heart that day was broken because I hadn't seen a brokenness in humanity like that before and um, thankfully a couple of hours later we were able to see this girl and she came back and we kept like checking up on her because it was a stupidly cold day and so we couldn't even keep her warm in the area and she was a totally totally different p- person Turns out she was an amazing athlete. She was an incredibly bright and beautiful young woman who was desperately searching for something more, who was trying to look for something different because something on the inside was like, this this can't be it, there must be something more. And I believe my heart was broken that day and something shifted for the people that were out there. See, as I was reflecting on this, I thought of the story in Mark chapter 5, and we're going to read it of when Jesus raises a little girl from the dead. While Jesus was still speaking, some people came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader. Your daughter is dead, they said. Why brother the teacher? Why bother the teacher anymore? Overhearing what they said, Jesus told him, Don't be afraid, just believe. He did not let anyone follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. When they came to the home of the synagogue leader, Jesus saw the commotion. While with people crying crying and wailing loudly, he went in and said to them, Why all this commotion and wailing? The child is not dead but asleep. But they laughed at him. After he put them all out, he took the child's father and mother and the disciples who were with him and went in there where the child was. He took her by the hand and said to her, "To Which means, little girl, I say to you, get up. Immediately the girl stood up and began to walk around. She was 12 years old. At this, um, they were completely astonished. He gave strict, strict orders not to let anyone know about this and told them to give her something to eat. See, everybody looked and saw something that was dead, something that was hopeless, but God simply saw something that was dormant that needed to be called and awoken. See, isn't that the kind of God that we serve? We look at situations that are so hopeless and broken, but God looks and he sees something dormant that he wants to call forth and give life to. See, isn't that an amazing story? And isn't that a reason why we as a church should live on mission to a world where there are people that are lost and hurt and broken? Because this is the kind of God that we serve. This is the kind of compassion that Jesus extends, that we can walk into any kind of hopeless situation. And we can see see God put his hand on it and see things come to life and call things forth that are not possible in the natural See, Jesus went himself to this house. It wasn't where he was going. He turned off his course to go to someone because he knew that she couldn't come to him. See, I think there's a picture of how God wants us to live. There are people that can't come to us. So God calls us to go. And it is the overwhelming compassion of God that calls us to go to these places, to cause us to go to the lost, the hurt, and the broken. It's a calculated cost determined by our conviction. We know that it's going to cost something. We weigh it up, and we determine that because of what God has done in our lives, because of the incredible truth of who he is, that the cost is worth it. See, when we started talking about um, the Selwyn stuff, uh, Carl well, and I were having a conversation. It was actually just before I went to Thailand last year. And because I'd been out in the region, we'd been working in the university, I'd spent some time out there just praying and, and just kind of felt a stirring for something. And Carl and I had a conversation just before I left. And it was funny because he didn't even say it, but through the conversation, I just knew in my heart that I was meant to be, meant to lead it. And so I got on the plane and went to Thailand and was like, okay, what does this look like? What is this? And we came back and we started working through the details and then it was probably around about October last year. And um, Carl comes to me and he's like, What is up? Well firstly he thought that I was like sharing this. He thought I was a bit mad at him. I was like, No, I'm not upset with you. He's like, okay, what is going on? And I just like lost it, like balled my eyes out. Because I realized that there were dr- other dreams. They were going to have to be laid aside in order to say yes to this. I, I got saved in this church when I was 14. I came on staff when I was 18. This is home. I love this place. And it's an incredible privilege, but there's also a go within that. This, this was never the dream, this was never something that I was chasing. There were other things that I was super happy and super excited and super pumped to be doing. There's also other things around my life, and going, man. Actually, am I going to be able to do that stuff if I'm leading this? And um, <laughs> I was I was away when we originally uh, for the morning service when we did those those yes cards, and um, I came back for the evening service, and everyone else had kind of done them, and I mean, and so Sunday night came, and I was like. Oh, man, and I went to put mine up. And by that stage, no one else apart from senior leadership knew about this. But I knew the cost of what this year was going to be. And as I went to put this, <laughs> that card up, and I was, I was already crying by the time I even got to the stage. And I put it up, and I tried to make it back to my seat. And I think I even made it like halfway. And I was physically shaking because I was so scared and so fearful, and so aware of my own failings, of my own insecurities, of my own shortcomings, so aware of what the potential cost of this is, that I was like, I know that this yes is going to hurt, and I was shaking, and I remember Ange came up, and she said, I don't even know if you want prayer or not, she's like, but I just got a picture, she said, you're standing in your armor, and she said, the enemy is just swirling around you with fear and doubt, looking for a chink in your armor. And that had been what what that last couple of weeks had been like for me. Every fear and every doubt had been swirling in my head around what this thing looks like. And I want to tell you that my yes was a continuous and very raw decision to choose to trust God and trust his goodness. God is not my magical genie. If there is a cost that comes with this, he doesn't owe me anything because he has already given me everything. See, he is not at my beck and call. But if he calls me, then I owe him my obedience. And so that decision is made out of obedience. It is a calculated cost determined by my conviction. And I think that's got to be our call to go. As we weigh up the cost, there is going to be financial cost. There is going to be the cost of our comfort. There's going to be dreams that are going to need to be laid down in order to pursue this. There's going to be a way that we thought we were going, but instead we've got to surrender that and choose to follow God. There's things that we've got to weigh up and not just in our heart decide, but in our mind as well, that this is what we're going after. See, when I was away at Nations last year, I also heard some stories that have really sat with me and challenged me. There was a, some, a movement that happened many years ago, predominantly by some young adults, and I want to read you a little story. A band of brave souls became known as the one-way missionaries. A century ago, they bought tickets to the mission field without the return half. Instead of suitcases, they packed their earthly belongings into coffins. As they sailed away, they waved goodbye to everyone they loved and all they knew, knowing they'd never return home. A.W. Milne was one of these missionaries. He set sail for the New Hebrides in the South Pacific, which is now Vanuatu. Aware of the headhunters that had martyred every missionary before him, Milne didn't fear for his life because he had already died to himself. His coffin was packed. For 35 years, he lived among the tribe. When he died, they buried him in the middle of the village and inscribed this on his tombstone. When he came, there was no light. When he left, there was no darkness. See, when did we start believing God wants to send us to safe places to do easy things? Currently out in Selwyn, they have the highest suicide rate. Predominantly young, rural males. I found out this morning that every year for the last five years, the high school has buried a young person. There is great hopelessness, and there is great brokenness. And every time I think that the cost is too high, and I go, I don't particularly want to do this. I go, and I start walking the streets, or I sit in a cafe, and I look at the people that God has called us to. I go, what if? What if the people out there could say that? The ones currently in darkness could say that there's now an incredible light. See, I think that that cost that's outweighed by what God can do in people's lives. And so I think that's worthy of our yes. I. Oh, so anyway, let's go to the panel. <laughs> <laughs> let's finish there. <laughs> this is...
1: Wow. We'll give Julia a minute to um, piece herself together. Um, this is the part of our night where we call our Life Talk panel, and it's really uh, designed to be a chance where we can unpack sort of what was shared, and it's also a chance for you to send in some questions. So on the screen, we've got the number, which will come through to this phone. So if there was things in the message that spoke to you, maybe things you, wanna, um, you want us to unpack in this discussion, that's your chance. So feel free to get out your phone and send some things through, but... Julia, I, 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 love, I love what you shared because I think what you shared really shatters the idea that you plant churches just to expand your name. Like I think what you shared really shows that actually the reason you plant churches, the reason you reach out is to see hope expand and to see God's kingdom expand into those regions. And I think that's really cool. But I want to pick up on something you mentioned at the start of your message because I actually feel like it's a word for someone. You said, you said that God spoke to you and said, I just want you to follow. Can you unpack that a little bit more for us? Because I think that that's a really powerful statement. I think it's going to speak to people, you know, like getting to that place going, I just want you to follow.
0: Yeah, totally. So um, we're in the prayer meeting and I just felt God bring that that story when, um, with, you know, the picture and stuff of when they were following the, the pillar and the, the fire and stuff. And um, So I went and I looked it up, and I was reading through it, and um, I was just, as I read through the story, I was like, man, there was stuff in there that I just, I'd never seen before, so as they were, were following, there was a few things that God couldn't take them a certain way, because he's like, "This, they'll be so fearful, they'll turn around and go back, and the time." that God was leading and guiding them, but then also, they get down to the side, like to where they need to cross the river, and, and Pharaoh's army is bearing down on them, and it says the angel of, and they had, they had to wait, they weren't quite ready to cross and stuff yet. And then it says, uh, the angel of the Lord moved from the front to behind them and kept them safe in that camp while there's an Egyptian army bearing down on them. And God just spoke to me and just reminded me, he said, all you need to do is follow. Wow. And the rest is up to him. Wow. Well, he just, we can't do the supernatural. We can't, we can't move angels. We can't hedge ourselves in, but God can. Yeah, it's great. And so we just have to trust. And I realized that, you know, I was responsible for my attitude and my obedience. Wow. Wow. God wow. Is, everything wow. else is up to God. Yeah. And so it's like, I have to get those things right. I have to deal with the stuff in my heart. I have to get my attitude right. And I have to, you know, place myself in a position and be obedient to that and trust that God's going to do whatever God wants to do with that. Wow.
1: wow. So can I ask, how did you get to that point of, you made the comment that for you, this is a, your yes is a daily decision that you have to make, you know, it's not just something you go, sweet, I, I put the yes card down the front, now I can walk away, I'm good, but it's something you have to just make every day, how did you, how do you get to that point of really being able to trust God in that, going Lord, I'm I'm trusting you to come through, like I suppose, what are some of the things that you have to outwork to to get yourself to a place where you really have your trust in God that way?
0: Oh, I think firstly, like I'm not there every day, Right. right. <laughs> some days when you're like, yeah, God's got this, and other days you're like, I don't know, <laughs> but I think you know I, the people that within this faith community. There's incredible stories of people that have planted churches and seen God come through. You know, right. there's people that mentor and they talk through. You know, there's people with amazing, amazing faith stories. And so, positioning myself around that, being at prayer meetings where I can learn how to pray and learn how to surrender this stuff, and. Mm. Talking it through with people that I that I trust, and mm, mm. and reminding myself of the times that God has been faithful, yeah. and continuously choosing my attitude around that, and choosing what I'm going to believe, and choosing not to believe lies and fears and doubt, mm. but praying mm. into that yeah. stuff, and um and being honest with people when it when it does hurt and when I'm not sure. Yeah,
1: that's awesome, man. Cool. So. Over on this end, we have Tim Bennett, and you may or may not know, but Tim has come on, um, not as a pastor in our church, but you've come on in a role to oversee a lot of our systems and people management and that side of things, but you've also had to say yes to God, and actually this process for you has really been a, 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 a series of responding to God. Could you share with us just a little bit around that journey
2: for you? Sure, yeah. I've briefly mentioned it in, in previous weeks as well. Um, I've never wanted to work in a church. Um, Oh, and do actually, we give off that bad of a vibe? Like? <laughs> no, well, I was thinking about this as, as preparing for tonight, actually, and probably part of the story that I haven't shared yet is I, it's been, like you said, it's been a series of decisions and it always is a series of yeses. Um, so I worked at a middle-grange for seven years. Two years ago, um, I thought about leaving, um, applied for a job, got offered a really, really good job, actually, um, elsewhere, um, and decided that no, that wasn't the right decision. Um, and that was actually a yes to God as well, which was essentially, and this is what I felt at the time, yes, you are going to leave, but the timing's not right. right. Um, so it was a yes, stay, keep grinding out what I was doing at the time. Um, and then late last year, I uh, got to a situation where I kind of got offered a, a situation somewhere else that enabled me to resign my position at Little Grange. And at that time, I felt totally comfortable and at peace about resigning. So I resigned. What I didn't know was what was going to happen next. <laughs> of course, I get a phone call from Carl, which some of you heard the story from that. Um, and of course, my initial response is, I'm not going to work in a church um, because I'm not a pastor, I'm not a musician, I'm not any of those things. Um, and after the conversation, I thought it was going to be an easy no. And when Carl presented it, thought about it. actually, that's not such an easy no anymore. Mm. And one of the things that got over my head, and, I, and I've kind of th- dwelt on that again today, was actually, it was partly my own response in terms of I know the burden that there is on people in ministry because I am a pastor's son Mm. um, and I've seen it firsthand and Julie is talking about some of that burden tonight and there was a real challenge for me from God to say is it that you don't want to work in a church or is it that you don't want that burden of ministry Um, and having conversation about it actually um, later on with Carl about what the job entailed I got a very clear word from God that said actually I'm not going to burden you with that ministry, but what I'm going to help you do, uh, what, I'm going to, what I'm, you're going to do for me is help lift that burden of the other staff. Um, wow. And so wow. when I started looking at that, that became, okay, well, now it's not quite an easy no. Mm. Um, I now understand the reason for the position, sure. but I still had doubts about whether it should be me. right? Because um, I'm the sports guy, right? For 17 years, I worked in basketball and sport, um, so why... Why should it be me? Um, and that's when the conversation with Carl happened and, and we had a big conversation. I actually asked Carl, yep, I get it. I get why you want this position. I get the need for this position. Why me? Yeah. Um, and we had a really good conversation around, around why me. Mm-hmm. Um, and walking away from that meeting, it became very hard to say no. Mm. Um, mm. But there were still <laughs> doubts um, and around practical things. My mother, if you didn't know, was actually an accountant by training um, and a county teacher. So, of course, I'm running the numbers, right? Um, <laughs> and I'm going, okay, we we're already going to try and have one international student next year. If I do this, I'm going to have to have two. Um, so we did all ran all the numbers, figured what number we had to get to, decided two international students, that'll get us there. Um, that night, me and Terry Lee had a big discussion and said, okay, cool, I think we've decided that the answer is yes, but let's sleep on it. Next morning, um, we're going, yep, okay, let's do this. And I contact Carl and say, yes, and... About 30 minutes later, I get a phone call from Lincoln High School saying, oh, you know how we told you you're going to have two international students? You're not. You're going to have one. Um, and then another phone call, I think it was a car. I can't remember if it was a car or a roof. And a huge bill came up for maintenance. And you're going, I've said yes already. And I, and I felt like this was God saying, yeah, you said yes when you knew that financially it was going to work yeah, out. Yeah, right. Now, now how about it? Yeah. Um, wow. And I wow. still had a peace that I'd made great. the right
1: decision. great, wow.
2: Later that day, four hours later, oh, you know how we said you didn't have an international, stu- international student? We've got you another one. Man. But they're ready on Sunday, so they'll be here all for the finish of last, this last year as well. And then you go, oh, right, so that pays off the debt of what we had to come up with as well. So had them for an extra three months compared wow. to what we were going to. So wow. it's a, bu- a series of yeses. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. Um, it was really interesting you saying, you know, sometimes what you have to do is just follow. Yeah. Um, and you know I had all my human doubts and all my thoughts about how it could work and couldn't work, and also the why me, why not me, um, but ultimately, once I'd said yes, because I, yep, this is the right thing to do, I sort it out. And it's a daily, yes, I'll follow at the moment as well, as we figure out exactly how it's all, Yeah, you know, yeah. how the job rolls. Yeah. Um, I think we we'll are finding a good space wow. at the moment. So, yeah, wow. that's kind of my story. Brilliant.
1: That's really cool. I lo- uh, yeah, it's, it's totally that. Um, and if you were here this morning, Carl shared around the idea of, of giving. But one of the principles he mentioned was, you know, seek first the kingdom of heaven, and all of these things will be added unto you. And I love that story. That's so cool. God just sort of testing you, going, are you really... Saying yes, but and you, you sort of mentioned it, because a couple of questions have come through around how do, you, how do you overcome the doubts, and I suppose some of it is you still have part of it, you know, there's, there's still that sense of I don't know, and that's where the sort of faith comes in, but we're, we're quickly running out of time, but I want to I follow up on a question um, that came through last week, but it's also come through a few times already this morning, and that is how, how do you know that God is calling you to something? How do you discern the difference between what is my good ideas and what I feel God is wanting me to do? Because both of you have had that story of, I think you, know, you said you weren't too keen, and you've said it was a, oh, clearly it was an easy no. Um, so how did, you, how did you guys, I suppose, hear from God, or, or what was that, um, just to help people sort of understand what that means?
0: Um, I think for me, like, I just knew. And I don't know if that's super helpful, but it was just the sense that it was like, I just, I just knew. And I knew I was being disobedient if I didn't. Mm. Um, and there was, there was still a peace around that decision, but it was just trusting that feeling that it's like I knew even before we had the conversation. Like, to be honest, I think looking back at the timeline, it was only just coming onto kind of Carl's radar then, and it was just – I think maybe something that I've, I've kind of been learning is um, even as I've been, been going out and to Selwyn and stuff and driving around and going, choosing to position myself where I can hear from God, whether he speaks or not is up to him, but I choose to position myself in a space where i 'm willing to listen wow, right. and and just seeing what he does and and I think even through this whole journey, learning to actually come back to the secrets that secret place and and guarding that mm-hmm. and in that place where're yeah. going god i 'm just I just want to be with you i just yeah. I just want to hear from you and yeah. you know what he says i don 't know but mm-hmm. uh, you know being very oh, what 's the word like um uh, like intentional right about yeah. about choosing to position choosing position and choosing to to try and mm. hear. Mm.
2: awesome cool. yeah i th- I think that's different for every person mm. actually a mm. um, uh, religion's not about a set of rules and it 's about a personal relationship with god we 're all different, therefore God deals with us all differently yep. um, when he 's talking to yep. us, so for me it's very much there's two things that when i 'm making major life decisions that seem to always come back to making a good decision. Mm-hmm. One is a sense of peace. Right. And one is a sense of timing. And, and you mentioned right. that as well. Right. Um, so many times when I look back at major different things in my life that have happened, um, you go, well, actually, the timing of this is so uncanny that it can't be anything but God's plan. Right. Um, right. And then I think you always test major decisions. Yeah. Talk about it. Pray yeah. about it. Yeah. Um, yeah. Communicate with people that you trust about, the yeah, about yeah. these things. Yeah. But for me, it always comes down to a sense of peace once you've actually got to the point where you go, yep, I think this is the way I want to go. Mm. Wait yeah. and wait in his presence, yeah. pray about it. Yeah. And yeah. and for me, yeah, you have that real sense of, I don't know exactly how this is going to play out, but yeah. the peace of understanding right. of that, I know it's going to happen. that's awesome. Yeah.
1: And you mentioned it earlier as well, just getting, that, getting wise counsel talking to people around you, chatting with someone you trust, mentors, whatever that may be, and getting their thoughts on it, because they they should be able to have the perspective of where you are at, and I suppose have maybe a little bit of a sense of, is this timing right? Are you ready yet? But yeah, like you said, God speaks us all differently, but can we give these guys a hand? Thank you guys so much for everything, and Julia, going to hand it back to you to finish this off.
0: Cool, and um, we're just going to go into a time of, of worship again, so I just encourage you to stand, and I'm just going to pray. Father, God, we just thank you for your incredible goodness. Lord, your love that overwhelms us. Father, that you pursue us at times when we're far away from you. Lord, that you never stop loving about loving us. You never stop caring for us. And Father, that compassion, Father, extends to every single person who's ever walked this earth. Father, you oh. desire us to live on mission. Father, because your heart is so deeply broken for the lost, the hurt, and the broken. And Father, that you so want to bring peace and love and comfort into their lives. So, Father, we pray tonight, Lord, that we we'll just surrender ourselves afresh to you. Maybe you're here in this place and you don't even, you don't, you're not in a good space with Jesus, you don't have that relationship with Him. I'd encourage you, even just as we sing this song, just surrender yourself to Him. It's not about a fancy prayer, but it's just asking him, God, Jesus, Jesus, I want to know more about you. Jesus, I want to have a relationship with you. And for those of us that do know him, maybe we can surrender ourselves afresh again tonight and say, God, what do you want me to do? Holy Spirit, we pray that you will speak tonight. Lord, call us. Father, set us apart. Father, ruin us for anything other than your kingdom purposes. Lord, I pray that fear and that doubt will go in the name of Jesus in this place tonight. And Father, that dreams will be birthed in hearts. Father, that a fire will burn within us. Lord, for the people in our worlds, that they might be able to say when they came, there was no light. And when they left, there was no darkness. Because God, we believe you are that powerful. We believe that is your heart and your will. We ask that you reveal it to us afresh again in the name of Jesus.